There was a dad watching the baseball playoffs, and his son came running into the room and said, Dad, can I ask you a question? He said, Sure, go ahead, Johnny. What do you want to ask? So the son said, uh, Dad, where did God come from? Dad's looking at the TV and says, Oh, I have no idea. Well, Dad, yes. What about the sky? Why is the sky blue? Uh, sorry, son, I don't know why the sky is blue. And the little boy's tugging on his dad's got another question. He says, well, Dad, how come the world is round? And Dad's looking at the ball game and said, you know, son, I, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question either. I don't know why the world is round. The little boy's tapping on his dad's leg and said, Dad, yes, do you mind me asking you so many questions? And he said, no, son, how else are you going to learn anything? Probably you would agree with me, it's easy to ask questions. Asking a question really isn't very hard. In fact, I got a lot of questions I'd like to ask. Questions like, when you look at a bottle of glue, why doesn't the glue stick to the bottle? Or questions, are you awake this morning? Everybody good? Okay. Listen closely. Questions like this, if a partially farmer... If a parsley farmer is sued, do they garnish his wages? <laughs> or questions like, when it rains, why don't sheep shrink? <laughs> or questions like, um, <clears throat> I don't know if I should ask, if a, if a mute person swears, do they wash his hands? <laughs> or uh, a couple more, hang in there. Why do they lock gas station bathrooms? Are they afraid somebody's going to come in and clean them? And uh, one last one, tough question. This is my favorite. Is it true that cannibals don't eat clowns because they taste funny? Uh, some of them in the back aren't laughing at all. Uh, well, all, the only point is it's easy to ask questions, and we're in a series called God Questions. This is number four, part four, and we're asking some tough questions, and this morning is a tough question. And the question is uh, about a good God and suffering in our world. Now, we believe, and we talked about God in the first of these series, is God real? As a Christian, we believe these three things about God. We believe God is all good. Secondly, we believe God is all-loving and powerful. I guess power would be the second one. And thirdly, we believe God is all-knowing. So God is good, God is knowing, and God is powerful. Now that raises the tough question, then why doesn't God do something about the suffering and evil in our world? And that's our question for this morning. Now, let me say at the outset... Like a lot of questions, we cannot fully answer that question. So this morning, if you're expecting the answer from Steve, it's not going to happen. However, just because I can't get on my bicycle, which I enjoy riding, just because I can't get on my bicycle and ride it like Lance Armstrong, doesn't mean I stay off my bicycle. And so this morning, just because we can't finally answer this question for you does not mean that to explore the answers are not helpful. They are helpful. And so this morning, I invite you to uh, take the insert that's in your bullet in this little handout. We're going to be looking at some of the answers to this question. Uh, 
I was with our brother David this week. Uh, David is uh, one of the members of our church, and he's been in the hospital eight weeks now, and he's struggling. He's a dear man who has spent his life studying and teaching the Bible, a great person to be around, and he's just flat struggling. And I said, David, I'm preaching on suffering. This is a tough one. And he said, yes, it is. And I was hoping for some words of wisdom. And here's what he said. He said, it's a struggle. I don't have the answer. It's hard. And I share that with you this morning to say what I just said. I don't really have an answer for this this morning. It's a hard topic. Nevertheless, I think we can have some benefit by looking at the question today. What I've done is divided this into three sections, head questions and hard questions and hard answers, and then finally some heart answers. So we'll look at these three sections, and I want to begin with some head answers, some more thinking answers, some rational answers. Number one, God is not the creator of suffering and evil. Um, There is a great, great question, and it is, why didn't God create the world with no suffering and no evil? Why didn't God create a good or a great world? And you know what the answer is? God did. God did. If you read the opening chapters of the Bible, chapter 1 and 2, when you read chapter 1, that overview of creation, several times the word good is there. God saw that he created and it was what? Half done, a little bit off, not quite right. No, it's good. And at the end, God says, looking over all of creation, it is very good. And so God did create a good creation. Now, obviously, that brings up uh, point number two here. Evil and suffering are the consequences of humankind turning away from God. And I want to read from Genesis chapter 3. The Bible doesn't take very long to get down to uh, brass tacks, as we might say. And if you, if you were to ask, what's wrong with the world, Steve? What happened? Here's the answer. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this is the tree God had already said, don't go there. When she saw that it was good for food and it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig tree leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Freedom, choice, consequences. You do one thing, another happens. Now, you and I have to realize, in fact, someone said to me just about eight days ago, I don't understand why God created evil. And I said to him, God didn't create evil. God didn't create bad things. Those are the consequence of our choices. And when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil came into the world and came into their lives and death came. Now, I've got Elmo here. I brought him to church, a little security. And uh, Elmo's going to talk to us right now. Yeah. Thank you, Elmo. That's the one I wanted. Did you hear that? Elmo loves you. That's what I wanted to hear. I hope I can get him to calm down here in a minute. Why am I holding Elmo? Well, because I can punch a button and Elmo can say that he loves me. Don't I feel good to be loved? It's just wonderful. 
Now, there is a certain security, I suppose, that comes from elbow. But the point is, when God created us, he didn't put a little button in our belly that God could come walking up to Adam and Eve in the garden and push them on the navel and say, we'd say back, oh, I love you, God. You see, I'm trying to illustrate what you already know, and that is the fact that we make choices in life. We have freedom, and those choices have a consequence. And we see the consequence in Genesis chapter 3. Now, my son Roger sells mountain bikes. If you were to go to Roger and buy a mountain bike, and then you go over here behind JPL, and you ride that wonderful trail called El Prieto and crash, like my friend did, and you go to get stitches in your leg to get sewn up, are you going to go back to Roger and say, Roger, it's your fault I crashed? Or maybe you're going to sue Rocky Mountain Bike Company and say, it's the bike's fault I crashed. Now, here in Southern California, that is what we tend to do, I understand. But I'm trying to talk common sense here. Whose fault is it that you crashed? The rocks? The trails? No, it's rider error. Rider error causes lots of pain. In fact, all kinds of errors in my life have caused me lots of pain, but they're not God's fault. And so, a number two, evil and suffering are the consequences of humankind turning away from God. Let's go to number three. Here's a real, uh, another head answer, and we're really not going to take much time here, because I don't need to illustrate this to you. Evil is real. Evil is real. You know that, and I don't want to drag out some amazing story to, to prove that to you. When we think about evil, we think about it primarily in two areas, natural evil or natural disasters, like Katrina that wiped out New Orleans, or the Northridge earthquake that scared me to death, or just recently there was a bad earthquake or a bad uh, typhoon in Vietnam that killed several people. Those are instances of natural evil, natural disasters that happen. Now, the other kind of evil we call moral evil or, or moral disasters. Evil in our world, which we would say this is humanity's inhumanity. Someone has estimated, I have no idea how you would do this, but someone has said that probably 95% of the suffering of the world is caused by people. Uh, for instance, we all flinch when we see the distended bellies of people who are starving de to death in our world. But do you realize that we produce enough food for every man and woman, boy and girl in the world to have about 3,000 calories a day? That's how much food we produce. So the problem of starvation is a problem of distribution and of equity. It's not a problem that God has not created the planet enough to support the world. Evil is real, and we need to accept our responsibilities about perpetuating it. In a little over a year from now, you're going to be asked to vote on a candidate. Let me nudge you towards thinking already, what candidate is talking about the real problems of the world? About war? About the fact that half the world lives on $2 a day or less? Can't we fix that problem? That 27 to 30,000 children die every day that don't have to? Every three seconds a child is dying. Do we care? We're the greatest nation on earth. Can't we address these issues? I think we can. And so as we think about uh, our world, there is real evil in our world. You know that and you understand. Now, the last answer I want to address in this section is this. God is committed to overcoming evil and suffering. Let's not sit around and throw up our hands and say we can't do anything about the pain of our world. Let's not do that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. 
God loves the world, and the heart of God is surely broken over the brokenness of the world. God, the Bible says, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think God's heart is broken as he sees our wrecked world. So God is committed to overcoming evil and suffering. Now, throughout these sections, I've given you, if you wanted to take this outline and go home and look up scriptures, there are a lot of references that we won't take the time to read through today, but I hope they would help you understand what the Bible says about that particular point. Now, let's move on uh, to some hard answers. We move away from some of the head stuff to some hard answers. But I think you probably need a break. You want to wiggle around a minute or kind of flex your shoulders or just let's just take a break, huh? A couple more hard questions. This is one I've been pondering. Do Lipton employees take a coffee break? Now, this is the test to see how awake you are. Someone told me this. It took me about three tries to get it. But did you hear about the agnostic, dyslexic insomniac that stayed up all night pondering dog? Oh, you're a sharp group. For the rest of you, agnostic, dyslexic, insomniac, dog. Okay. Um, One last one. Oh, I, I like this one, too. If the police arrest a mine... Do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? Uh Uh-huh. All right, let's move on to some more serious questions. Some hard answers here. Number one, normally God does not violate the law of the harvest. Our choices have consequences. I gave you a a little illustration in terms of the bike riding. Uh, The Bible says in Galatians, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. People reap what they sow. I want to suggest to you, when you're in pain, a fair question to ask, and it may be physical pain, it may be emotional pain or psychological pain, spiritual pain. When you're in pain, a fair question to ask is, is this my fault? Now, it's not fair for you to blame somebody else and say, well, she's in pain because of what she did. Don't go down that road. That's not your business. But it is fair to ask of yourself, is this pain caused by me? That's sort of an accountability question. So, if Joyce and I are not getting along, if there's tension in the marriage, I need to ask myself, Steve, what are you doing to contribute to this tension, this problem in the marriage? That's a fair question to ask ourselves. And so when you're struggling, when, uh, ask yourself that question. Is this pain my fault? It may not be, but it's worth asking. Britney Spears, for example, does not need to blame God that her kids are taken away. She needs to examine her behavior. You understand that. If someone smokes heavily all their life, as someone I love that's dying right now and has emphysema and lung cancer and struggles for every breath, I don't blame God, and I don't blame them. I just realize this is the consequence of a lifetime of not taking care of yourself. And I'm very sorry, but it's not God's fault. And so we need to think clearly sometimes about the pain people are in and why they're in that pain. Choices have consequences. Now, number two... Uh, this is somewhat hard to talk about, but you will, you remember one of the ladies in the interview talked about suffering and that you could grow through suffering? We're going to kind of go in that direction now. Uh, God can and does use suffering to accomplish good. Now, there are going to be several points under this. The first one, God can use pain to draw people to himself. 
I want to ask some other people to speak here because as I look at Steve's life, I, I honestly feel like I live a charmed life. Life is pretty good. And I have not struggled as some people I see have struggled with pain or suffering and problems. And so, you know, I've got my troubles and problems, but when I compare those to others, I oftentimes say, thank you, God, I'm so blessed. But let me share with you the words of C.S. Lewis, who was referred to earlier. He married a woman who had cancer. She eventually died, and he went through enormous grieving process. And C.S. Lewis, in talking about that process, said, God whispers to us in our pleasures... He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to a deaf world. I would agree with that. And God seems to have more of my attention when times are tough than when times are terrific. I don't know about you, but that's just true for me. Now, one other example that I'll call forward, a woman that you've probably heard of, Joni Erickson Tata. She was in a diving accident some 30 years ago, lives here in Southern California. And since then, she's been a paraplegic, totally dependent on other people to care for her. Here's her words, quote, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. All I'm saying is suffering can be used for good in our lives if we're available for that. And here's another hard truth. God can use trials to sharpen the character of his children. Hebrews says of Jesus, and I don't, you know, this is, this is again one of those things we say, I wish it were not so. However, God can sharpen our character through suffering. Of Jesus it was said, son though he was, Jesus, son of God though he was, He learned obedience through the things he suffered. And I've learned some things from the disciplines that I've received as well. Wouldn't you agree that the suffering, the discipline, the enduring hours of practice and preparation by an artist is what produces a great performance? It is the hours spent in training the discipline that enables that person to become a champion. And so it's true, sometimes discipline can be used by God to teach us and to sharpen us. And then D, God uses bad circumstances to bring about good ends. The great story of Joseph, in his later years as a very mature leader, when his brothers came back and he was helping save them, Joseph said this to his brothers, You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish, of what is, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, let me just give you a couple of names of people, and we don't have time to go into all their story, but these are people that you've heard their names, and if you were to read their biographies or autobiographies, you'd read these people had enormous suffering in their life, and that actually helped shape them to be who they are. Louise May Alcott, the famous writer. She was given, for a sickness she had, she was given a lot of medicine one time with mercury in it. And that destroyed, I think it was her nervous system, whatever it did to her, it created enormous pain in her life. This was before she wrote her greatest books. And somehow that, no doubt, contributed to what she did. Many of us have read, and all of psychiatry and psychology has profited from the work of Dr. Paul Turnier, a Swiss Christian psychiatrist. When he was born, in his infancy, his father died, so he never knew his father. 
and he grew up with that pain. When he was six years old, his mother died, and he grew up with that pain. And he spoke often about how difficult it was. Now, aunts and uncles took him in. He had a good childhood. But the pain of not having your parents was huge and shaped him in ways that I think God used him to reach out in his healing ministry to other people. All I'm saying is, God is able to bring good out of bad. And I want to encourage you, if you're suffering today, are you looking to God and saying, Lord, somehow redeem this situation. Bring good out of bad. And are you available to God to let God help you in that area? Now let's move towards the final section, the heart answers. The heart answers. I want to give you two. Number one, the day is coming when suffering and evil will cease. There is some good news here from a Christian perspective. The day will come in when it will cease. God will judge the world. Genesis 18:25. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And then in Acts 17:30, this is a tremendous scripture. Why don't you read this scripture with me, if you could, uh, from Acts chapter 17? God overlooked the times when people didn't know any better, but now He commands everyone everywhere to turn to Him and change the way they think and act. He has set a day when he is going to judge this world with justice, and he will use a man he has appointed to do this. God has given proof to everyone that he will do this by bringing that man back to life. A great verse about how Jesus is going to judge the world. Evil and suffering, God is not blinking at that. There will be a day of accountability. Friend, God is going to deal with the evil of the world. Corey Tenboom, a woman who wrote about her suffering out of World War II, said the following, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And in some ways, we're in that time when you look at evil and suffering when we simply need to trust the engineer and stay on the train. Now, the last answer. God promises to walk with us in our pain and suffering if we will let him. God has promised in Jesus, I'm not going to leave you. I will be with you. That is written over and over in Scripture. So I want to encourage you today, my friend, God is with you. Now read a couple of these promises from Isaiah that kind of reinforce this idea with us. Let's read uh, this together. I, the Lord, have called you to do what is right. I will take hold of your hand and I will protect you. Don't you like that image of God walking with you, taking hold of your hand? And then finally, let's read this. Do not be afraid, I am with you. Friends, this morning, are you hurting? Are you looking for help? I urge you to look to God, because God hurts with you. God cares. God has shown us that he cares by coming into the world. That's the story of Jesus. God took on his own form, human flesh, He walked this earth. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like for a friend to die and weep at his funeral. God cares, and he came here to experience our world, his world. And so I want to encourage you that he stands with us in suffering. In June of this past year, Joyce and I were able to be uh, in Washington, D.C., and one of the things we had on our list was to be sure and go to the U.S. Museum of the Holocaust And we did that one morning, in fact, a Sunday morning, and went through the floors of that building. And if you've been in a Holocaust museum or a memorial like that, you know how powerful the impact is. It's almost unbelievable. 
As you see the photographs of the concentration camps, as you read what one human did to another human, as you see the artifacts, some of the trains were there, and, and it just, you'd say, how could another human being do this to someone? And yet it happened. And there is enormous evil in our world. In fact, one of the books I encourage you to read is Elie Wiesel's book, Night. Very short book. He was a young man when he and his father were taken to a concentration camp. Just a boy. And as he was there, he talks about the horrors of that. In one particular story, that one day while he was there, he said the Nazis took a, a young boy, 13, 14, 15, just a teenager, and they tortured him for something he'd done or something they accused him of doing, and then they hung him on the gallows, and then they had all the concentration camp, all the prisoners walk by to see this boy hanging by a rope dead from the gallows. And Ellie says, just himself a boy, as he walked through that line, he heard a man behind him with rage and tears and brokenness say, Where is God now? Later, Elie Wiesel said, as I heard that voice and walked by that boy swinging from the gallows, I thought, he's here. He's here now. He's on the gallows. Now, that's what this Jewish man wrote about that horrible, evil experience. How about us as we sit here? We have a symbol that God is with us in pain and suffering. We have a symbol, a sign that God has not abandoned us. God's not out there and we're down here. God has come here for us to say that he loves us, that he knows about the sin and brokenness of the world, and he's done something about it. And that symbol's the cross that Jesus got on. And he suffered there physically and died. And then God raised him from the dead to demonstrate that he has the power over death. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you're fearful, if there's a sense of brokenness in your life, look at the cross. Or you may say, Steve, I'm with you. Life's pretty good. I am so blessed. Look at the cross. Many of us grew up listening to this song. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. Jesus himself laid down on the cross and became the bridge over the troubled water called sin. The cross is God's answer to a suffering world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we scarcely know what to say, but we do turn to you, Lord God Almighty. Around us are people who are struggling, perhaps with their faith, perhaps physically, perhaps with finances. Uh, beyond the doors is a world that's broken and in turmoil and chaos. And Father, as we sit here, we want you to renew us so that we can walk out of here and be willing to risk for you, to get out of our comfort zones and become a bridge for you. As your love fills us, give us the strength to reach out to others and stand with them in suffering and pain and struggle. 
Lord, thank you for coming to the world, for revealing yourself to us. And we pray that as we focus on the cross, we might better understand your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.